Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the tangent. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that was a special voice there. I thought you'd enjoy that. Uh, yeah. How, how, uh, how contradicting to how academic the question we are going to talk about yeah. today, that, well, that voice was. I liked I liked the way that you phrased the question, and this is going to be this is going to sound really strange. So you asked the question, "Just teach me something," uh, to begin uh-huh. before before you refined the question. It was just teach me something, and I went, uh, "What am I supposed to do?" And I had this. I was instantly transported when you when you said that to the parking lot of St. Mark's Church in Stratford. Sometime around my junior year of high school, probably mm-hmm. ish, I would imagine. There's the the St. Mark's Bazaar. So the bazaar is like the the big fair, um, kind of sure. like you guys at St. Leo's have the big parish festival. And we everything. had the big St. Leo's fair, right? So St. Mark's used to have this big this big fair called the St. Mark's Bazaar. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, when you got yeah, to I like the rhyme in, scheme. Yeah, when you got to be in, in middle school and high school, it was kind of like the, it was a cheap hangout with friends that you yeah, could just kind sure. of go and be there and nobody cared that there were a bunch of teenagers hanging out. It was, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. Which is rarely the case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nobody likes in my when life. there's teenagers hanging out. <laughs> At that time in my life, I was becoming quite religious. My okay. approach to the faith was, was growing. I... Uh, I, I really valued the the practice of the faith and everything. And then uh, I had tried learning as much of uh, as much of the faith as as I could. And then being in a Catholic school, that meant that I was I was really good at religion class in Catholic high school. I was, yeah, sure. I was I was an all star. Uh, <laughs> if there was an honor roll just for religion, I totally would have been on it, and I would have been at the top of it. Uh, I don't want to brag yes. or anything, but I was I was really good at this stuff. And anyway, so with this, I got the I'm, top I'm, average in phys- physical education. Yeah, there we go. See, and now you're teaching phys ed. That's what's up. <laughs> See, things have a way of working out. <laughs> so there I am with some of my friends, and I get introduced to this group that's that's there. And uh, one of them, I don't know, said something, and, and my friend said, oh, this is Sam. He's really religious. And this girl looked at me, and just, like eye contact, and said, preach to me. And I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I had no clue how I was yeah, supposed sure. to respond to that. Like, all right, on, on the one hand, uh, it's kind of an awkward thing to try to talk to a girl about, so I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Uh, but on the other hand, wh- how do you answer that? So you said, teach me something. And I went, uh, I don't know what to do. Uh, same exact feeling. Uh, like, right. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do this. But then you brought up the wow. question. Matt, why don't, you, why don't you pose the question again, and, and we'll we'll try to get into this a little bit, because this, this is a fun a fun subject. Yes, it is. It is. Um, the question, the way I posed it to you, my elaboration rather, was explain to me why Pope Benedict XVI or, you know, Joseph Ratzinger, it doesn't have to be exclusively from his papacy, um, is one of the greatest theologians in the last hundred years. It is an outstanding question, a very important one. Uh, if, if we're Thank looking you. at. The I great- raise my mug of coffee. 
in gratitude. Your Veritas Catholic Network mug, by the way. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you too, if you support Veritas Catholic Network, might be able to get yourself a mug. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure what what the gift level is required to get that mug, but it's a pretty sweet mug. Yes. uh, You should definitely get one. And we apologize to Steve in advance if we have just promised a whole lieu of people mugs that he no longer has. I am very hopeful that he has a a good... (laughs) A good-sized uh, cash inventory of yeah, exactly a yeah. solid inventory of mugs. <laughs> All right, Joseph Ratzinger is one of the most important theologians of the last hundred years uh, for for a variety of reasons, um, and I'm I'm doing this kind of cold without any any real prep on this, but I'll, I'll give you kind of my mm-hmm. my two cents. First, for for the record, I've read some Ratzinger. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not coming in, you know, as a total. Well, I am pretty much a total novice, but but you know what I mean. I'm familiar. For, fortunately, the uh, almost the entirety of Joseph Ratzinger's theological output has been translated into English, and is largely available through Ignatius Press. So you can get a ton of a ton of his stuff, a ton of his writings, um, and and well translated, uh, well done. Mm-hmm. You always lose something in the translation. He's got a way with German, apparently. I don't know German. Right. <laughs> apparently, he's, he's got a way of, of drawing on German terms that are, are really important uh, right. that don't fully translate into English, but usually Ignatius also includes in the footnote what the German is so that you can see, mm-hmm. just in case you happen to be really good at German. <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm not. In case you speak but... German. This is yeah, the word. Just in case. I, I don't know German, and if I tried to say German words, I would mispronounce them, so I'm not going to. Yeah, anyway. side tangent. I got to say it. I got to say it. Please. That whole concept is why I believe that the Lord uh, ordained Latin as the language of the church, because when you have <laughs> something in an original language, right, it maintains a certain kind of definition. It maintains a certain meaning. Yeah. Um, and it's the same reason why reading biblical Greek or Hebrew would be so important for proper exegesis. Okay, that was my tangent. I, I think you're right. Yeah, no, that's good. So Ratzinger comes on the scene uh, as a young theologian at a time in the history of theology that was that was very important. Keep in mind that he uh, he lives through World War II. And theology, he's a German who lives through World War II, a Catholic mm-hmm. German. That, that is, plays no small part in, in his formation and in, in, his, in his worldview, that mm-hmm. he, is, he has seen grave evil uh, committed by his own country. Right. And his, his father was staunchly anti-Nazi. Uh, and in Thank God. Being, being Bavarian, Bavaria was, was one of the, the areas of Germany that was very much against Hitler and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But this, this deeply influenced uh, his, his whole worldview. But if you look at the, the history of theology, just the theological sciences and, and the different writers, in that time immediately following World War II, what you have is there's, there'd already begun this, this movement in theology of trying to understand and and comprehend and see God present in uh, all this awful stuff that has happened. Mm. Two world wars, man's greatest depravity, the the deepest evil and darkness that that you can see. Where is God? What does God say in that? And do the old categories that we have always sort of used to describe God, do they still hold today? Mm. Those are important questions that are, are present. There can was, you can you elaborate on the old categories? What do you well, mean by that? Well, you might just talk about uh, Thomism. 
Oh, okay. Uh, so okay. looking at the at the theology and, and philosophy of, of St. Thomas okay. Aquinas, and yeah, so the, yeah. the categories that, that he uses, uh, do, do they still hold in the same way? Um, he's also coming in at, at a time when there are new philosophies, um, and particularly atheistic philosophies like Marxism, yeah. sure. that are, are taking deep root and, and really getting in there. So now you've got all this, this is sort of the... It's too much of a generalization, but that that's sort of the intellectual climate in which Ratzinger is getting his start. And at the same time, there's there's a movement called Ressourcement Theology. And the idea of Ressourcement Theology comes in to say, let's go back and look at the sources of our faith. And so there's an increase in scripture study and an increase in the study of patristic theology, reading the fathers of the church. So to be clear, this isn't this isn't like a new this isn't form criticism. It's not it's not it doesn't have a hermeneutic of skepticism. No, correct. Okay, they, so it's a good thing. Right now, form okay. criticism exists with, within all that too. There, there, there is that that right. sense of all right, we're gonna we are gonna try to study all these different things. There's right. there's a and, the, and there's a place for form criticism. I realize that. Yeah, but in general, though, at that time, you have a broadening of the uh, the study of scripture. Pius the twelfth, Pope Pius the twelfth, wrote. Um, I can't think of the name of the, the encyclical now, but he, he wrote encouraging a deeper understanding, a deeper study of, of Scripture, and that this is something we, we really need to be able to dive into. And not only is this uh, of absolutely essential importance for priests and seminarians, this, this must be done by those who are to be priests, but this also is something that the laity should be encouraged to. So he's he's just encouraging in general the study of sacred scripture, which is right knowing a, a, your faith, yeah, and a hugely yeah. important thing that he, that he's doing at this time because, um, with the rise of these different philosophies and everything, there can also be a sense of skepticism and the suggestion yeah. that somehow uh, scripture is not worth reading or it's it's all myth and there's there's nothing true about it. Uh, there's a, the tendency to try to over historicize scripture, and so we're going to throw out the stuff or the the stuff that's just symbolic, kind of forgetting about the various forms of scripture and the various genres that are present within the Bible. Mm. So all these things are happening at the at the same time. Uh, but with that return to the sources, go back, study scripture, with the return to the sources, read what the fathers of the church said. There's this reawakening and and recapturing of some of the most important theological thoughts, theological writings, theological treatises that the church has ever produced, which meant that all of a sudden they're simply being taught again, they're being read again. And now take say, patristic theology and place it alongside Thomistic theology. Mm. Thomistic theology, which can get very cut and dry. Yeah, it can uh, be... It, the downside would be legalism, right? Sure. And and especially yeah. in, in uh, manualist tradition, right? So the, the manuals just kind of asked this question, and here's the, here's the quick answer. Even, even catech, uh, catechisms tend to do that. Here's the question, here's the answer, right, w- right. without a whole lot... Of, of anything else put in there. Now, there's a place for that. Uh, Thomas Aquinas doesn't doesn't come about out of thin air. Uh, Thomas Aquinas right. is actually deeply rooted in the fathers of the church in the patristic right. era. He, he knows what they wrote, and he knows their theology. He also knows their philosophical background, and he's performing the work of synthesis. Mm. But sometimes that work of synthesis is where people stop. 
it's good to read the synthesis, good to read the summary. Cliff's notes have a, a purpose, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Not that I'm encouraging kids to read the Cliff's notes. No, read your read your book. Don't worry, read they're the scarier thing. the things than Cliff notes now. Yeah, exactly. There's there's AI websites that will write full essays for you, and maybe I shouldn't say this on the air. Yikes! <laughs> any, any kids that will? Yeah, uh, that's not schools right. are that's taking not steps right. to prevent that, though. So good, I'm glad. Nobody's gonna get, get a, gonna get away with it. So this is this is how Ratzinger kind of comes about. He becomes a, 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 a scholar of uh, Saint Augustine. Mm-hmm. So you'll you'll hear a lot of Augustine in in what Ratzinger writes, but he's also deeply versed in Thomas Aquinas and, and everything else. Um, and he begins his this this work as a theologian of really entering into that that resource mont idea and and diving deep into the into the the fathers and all of his all of his theology whenever you read it he's he's constantly bringing scripture constantly bringing the fathers in so what he's what he's writing is very well founded but then he's also he has a way of explaining things he's not just a scholar so there's i think a, a helpful distinction between like a great researcher and a great teacher i can be really good at at finding all of the all of the stuff Mm-hmm. but I might not be great in front of a classroom. Right. Or I can write about what I've researched. And you might follow me as, as far as the research goes, but it might not have much in the way of a popular value. Yeah. Like this is kind of a niche thing for only great scholars. But Ratzinger had the ability as a professor to explain what he was trying to get at, to, to, to teach the faith in a very accessible way that was also deeply scholarly. Awesome. You can read He's an the, archaeologist and a tour guide. <laughs> he's Indiana Jones in the Catholic world, basically. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, he can do it all. He can do the whole thing. That's but, awesome. So if, if you read, like, uh, read his And he Jesus also hates and, snakes. Sorry, not to keep going. <laughs> One read, in particular, but... Read his Jesus of Nazareth series. And, I've read and, the first one. So Jesus of Nazareth, this this little series that he put out, he, he wrote it as Pope. And this is a, an important distinction to make when you're when you're talking about Ratzinger. There's Joseph Ratzinger, the theologian, and all the things that he wrote before he became Pope. Mm-hmm. And and you've got to understand that. Then there's the things that he wrote as Pope. And so that's part of his papal magisterium. These are the things mm-hmm. that, that he contributes to the papal magisterium. These are things that, that he teaches in that particular office. Yeah. What he wrote beforehand does not have the stamp of papal magisterium. Yeah. Right before he became pope, he was writing as a theologian and a, right. a quite skilled theologian at that, and an incredibly right. important one, and I think a necessary one to study if you really want to do theology responsibly. You mm-hmm. need to study Ratzinger. But then he became pope, and so he was bringing this wealth of theological knowledge to to the papacy. When you read his encyclicals, when you read these things, you, you find it's it's all present there. But he wrote Jesus of Nazareth even while he was Pope. I didn't realize that. But he I wrote it, it was I thought it was when he was Pope Emeritus. No, no, he, he wrote it as as Pope. And he wrote it though under his own name, not under his papal name. Because he wanted to emphasize that this was the fruit of his whole career. This is what he had been building up to in the first place. His intention had been to write this, and this was going to be like one of his last theological works. He wanted to I write this, this reflection on the life of Christ. I think it's his legacy. I, I really think it is, and it's, it's very powerful. When you read it, though, what you, what you get is this, 
this wealth of knowledge of the the scriptures, um, a tremendous synthesis of what the fathers of the church taught, and then some of his own ideas and his own explanations for this stuff based on all these things that that he knows. And so as as he's writing all of that, he does it again in a way that's really accessible. I always remember my mother telling me that she read the first volume of Jesus of Nazareth, and she said there were some spots where it was a little bit confusing, a little bit complicated, but she said, I understood. I knew what he was talking about. And my mother's a smart woman, but she's not a theologian. She's not a philosopher. She doesn't have a background in any of that. And so I, I realized that he's got a gift in the way that he writes of being able to communicate really complicated ideas in a way that can be easily understood by just about anybody, not only those yeah. who are theologians. And that's an important thing, and this is part of the reason I think he's so he's so key in these last hundred years or so, because he's able to, to take these incredible ideas, and by communicating them, he's engaging in the work of evangelization. And he understood that theology is not purely and exclusively an academic exercise. Mm. It is. It's a, it's a real science. Thomas Aquinas talks about theology as the highest of the sciences because it is the science of God, the study of God. Right. But w- what Joseph Ratzinger understands is that theology has the power to evangelize, to catechize. And the, the more we understand of, of the faith, the more we can offer that reason for our hope. That's what mm-hmm. St. Paul tells us to do. Always be ready to offer a reason for your hope. Yeah. Well, this is what this is what Ratzinger was aiming for. Now, another thing that makes Ratzinger really important is that he was present at the Second Vatican Council. But he was... Sure. He was... Yeah. You know, no big deal. Yeah. Wasn't he a... Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, he was like an official advisor. He was a theological right, advisor there. Yeah. Yeah. So the council has... There's the fathers of the, of the council who are the bishops of the world. Uh, an right. ecumenical council is a meeting together of all the bishops of the world. All the bishops of the world come together. At the count at the Second Vatican Council, though, uh, there were theological advisors, and then individual bishops had their own advisors as well. Mm-hmm. So Ratzinger was present at the sessions of the council. He was there in an advisory capacity as a theologian, as an expert, uh, but he wasn't one of the guys giving presentations or, or talking about things. But he was his was, expertise ecclesiology. Well, he has an expertise in ecclesiology. He he's. I'm not actually sure right now. I'd have to go and look. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, what his what That's his doctoral work was in? Question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but I know that there's there's a doctoral dissertation by a guy named Maximilian Heim, uh, that was done in I believe in Germany that Ignatius Press has published, and it's the ecclesiology of Joseph Ratzinger in light of yeah. Lumen Gentium, and it's this right. It's fantastic. And I, since, the reason I brought it up was because I took a class called the Ecclesial Nature of Theology. And oh, yeah. we read a ton of Ratzinger. <laughs> yeah. Well, because he. We read he, so much Ratzinger. <laughs> he writes about the church a bunch and the importance yeah. of the church. And it, ecclesiology is my, my thing, it's, it's my favorite area of theology. So mm. looking at, at the, his ecclesiological output is, is pretty impressive. Um, we'll so, have to do an entire episode on ecclesiology. Oh, I'll, I'll, need to, I'll need a little bit of prep time just to get all my, all my stuff together. Yeah, but fair enough. It'll, it'll be fun. Um, so Ratzinger's present at the council. Well, the, the council, historically, is one of the most important events in the life of the church. I don't really care how you feel about the council or what right. you've read of the council. 
the Second Vatican Council is one of the most important historical markers in the life of right. the Church. Your feelings of the Council prove this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ratzinger was there. Yeah. And then he spent his career after that writing about the Council. All of his theology after that has almost always some reference back to the Council. And initially he's part of this group called Concilium, and this, this group, uh, Concilium, uh, was all about uh, promoting the Council and, and the work of the Council and furthering the things that the Council had called for. And so with that Concilium, they're, they're diving into all these different ideas and, and doing theology and getting all, all this stuff out there. But at a certain point, he started to realize that something was going wrong with that group. And this idea of, of this uh, concilio movement was uh, actually starting to get off the rails. They were going away from what the council actually called for, and were starting to introduce new ideas that were rooted more in things like Marxist philosophy, that were rooted more in the modern era and going along with the times. So it's the 1960s, let's do all this stuff. He writes about the, the summer of 1968 in Germany— was a time of student riots and takeovers of, of universities by students where they uh, just full-on rebellion against, against authority. We had the same thing happening in the United States. In Germany, it was more of the throwing off of, of authority, whereas in the United States, it was a, it was a lot of protest against Vietnam. Mm-hmm. In that context, though, with the Second Vatican Council and new ideas that are, are being brought or new ways of phrasing things, there's, there's a lot of confusion, and, and Ratzinger begins to see the confusion that's setting in in the world. Uh, as as social movements are sweeping across the globe, uh, he sees that they're they're also bringing with them uh, a, a great deal of of confusion. And he says, no, that the church and our our Catholic faith actually teaches us something. This, in fact, is the vision that John the twenty third had for the Second Vatican Council. That in the face of the confusing things of the modern world, the Catholic faith has something valuable to say. So Ratzinger begins this new movement called Communio, and he starts to highlight this idea of the ecclesiology of communion, that the Church is is one body, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's meant to be a source of unity, not of division, and that if the Church is supposed to be a source of unity and not of division, if the Church is in fact supposed to be this great uh, source of communion for the, for the whole world, then we, we have to really understand what the Church is, we have to understand what God desires for us, and communio becomes one of the most important movements uh, theologically. To this day, there's a journal called Communio that Ratzinger started. It exists in multiple languages. Each individual language group kind of has their own version of Communio, but it was this wow. idea of we're going to unpack what the council says. We're going to really teach what the council says. We're going to try to understand it. We're going to bring these different theological ideas and questions and uh, also commentary, theological commentary on on the world. And we're going to bring it here, and we're going to use this as, as a, a platform for discussing these deeply important questions of our faith and of our day. So what Ratzinger is really doing is he's he's bringing all of these things into uh, the conversation, and and what he's saying is that the, the church has something of value. The gospel has value in communicating with the world today. So we we need to bring this in. We need to have this this as part of our conversation. When he becomes prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, now the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, when when he becomes the prefect of the CDF. He's kind of put into this role where uh, to the to people who don't 
know what he really did and what his theological output was. They just saw him as kind of a doctrinal watchdog. Can, yeah, can you can you explain uh, what the CDF is? Sure. So the CDF, or now it's the DDF, the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, promotes the, the true teaching of the Catholic faith and will answer questions that are, are raised or even objections. So if, mm. uh, for example, somebody publishes a book and says something about Christ or about the Church that is questionable, the Dicastery might examine the, that teaching to say this represents authentic Catholic teaching or this does not represent oh, authentic Catholic teaching. Um, and so now the, my understanding is that there was also a point where it was a part of papal magisterium, right? Uh, yeah. So the the, the different uh, Vatican offices, the different curial offices, um, essentially operate on behalf of the Pope. Oh, I see. Okay. And so those things that they that 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 they say are they might be disciplinary in nature, so not doctrinal, right? Um, right. But they right. they have they have papal authority to to say this is what you're supposed to do, or this is this, so that, that's yeah that's how that all works, right? Right, fair enough. But Ratzinger comes in, and he so he's he's kind of given the reputation as the watchdog and the guy who's always just keeping an eye on stuff and laying the smack down on heresy, which is a fun idea. Uh, that yeah, you get to just is like, he the top dog though of this CDF? Yeah, so he was the Pre- he was prefect. The prefect. He's, he's so exactly he's, so he's the highest position. It's his signature on on all of the decisions and all the wow. things that they, that they write. Yeah, so he's he's in that position, but he's still very much the theologian. So right. he's he's writing and and explaining and teaching the faith. Um, again, as theologian and and as a, a teacher of the faith, he does this again at a time when there's been a lot of confusion. So again, just understanding what the latter half of the 20th century was like uh, mm-hmm. from the Second Vatican Council on, uh, and even into the early 2000s, you you had th- there was some questionable theology being taught. There were there were a lot right. of a lot of questions, yeah. and what Ratzinger does is he says, the council tells us what we're supposed to do, and the, and the council reminds us that the gospel is still of value, and he promotes what is called the hermeneutic of continuity. Yeah, sure. The hermeneutic of continuity suggests that we shouldn't read Vatican II as a breaking point in the life of the Church, but rather as simply a continuation of what the Church has, has always done. Now, you can make the argument that Vatican II definitely is different than anything that's ever happened before in the life of the Church, and I think there's a, a good, solid argument to be made there. Why is that true? Well, it's a different. It's different in the way that any other ecumenical council had ever been conducted. Uh, in that, there was far broader representation. You had more bishops from around the world mm. showing up and, and participating in it than you'd ever had in the past, uh, and it wasn't responding to a specific right. Question or a specific right, theological it didn't respond to a heresy, right? Yeah, it was instead called as a pastoral council. So, an ecumenical council called for pastoral reasons. How is the church going to be in the world now? And so, in that way, it is. It is very different. But the con- the idea of the hermeneutic of continuity is to say that, in fact, the council doesn't change what went before it. The council doesn't get rid of different teachings. Uh, we do see things changing, but the church has has always been in the in the business of changing while staying the same. Uh, if I can if I can use a phrase like that, like, yeah. Doesn't we, it kind of challenge a heresy though? It kind of challenge. Maybe this is for a totally different episode, but doesn't it kind of challenge Protestantism? Well, sort of, except that in in Dei Verbum, 
right? Where it talks yeah. about scripture, tradition, and magisterium. Yeah, it. I mean, it's it's outlining what we believe about about all of that. But if anything, the the desire at the council was to to work towards Christian unity. So yeah, right. It challenges Protestantism in the sense of we want to talk to you about what you believe, right? And in the sense of defining Catholic identity. Yeah, and and also maybe yeah. more of a sense of let's dialogue, let's have serious theological discussions right. about these things where we're different, uh, so that we can actually understand one another. Whereas if you rewind all the way back to the the days before the Council of Trent when Martin Luther yeah. is nailing his 95 theses to the uh, to the cathedral door uh, right. the response was no you're wrong get out yeah dot uh, dot dot let them be anathema yeah right and so the council is trying to actually say well we need to dialogue we need to talk about this and actually this is again where Ratzinger comes in as such an important figure because mm-hmm. he says yes there's there's room for us to talk about this and right. we need to engage in a healthy debate. We need to talk about it, but we also need to be able to say no to certain things. No, that's wrong. Right. No, that that is incorrect. And there's no, there's a balancing act. You can't just deny the magisterium. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's right. a balancing act that needs to happen theologically, and Ratzinger does a really good job of of walking that line and and balancing mm-hmm. those things. So I think he's one of the most important theologians, just because in his historical moment of the time when he's when he's writing and teaching the most uh he's there at a time of of deep confusion mm-hmm. but he's able to present something that's clear yeah and that that has the 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 ring of truth to it not just the ring of truth it is true like what he writes about is true right um instead of an aggressive uh skepticism that is right. often evidenced by by some theologians he he says, "No, this is this is true. This is this is what we believe. This is authentic Catholic faith. Here's why." And so he provides right. reason for the things. He doesn't just go to the appeal to authority. The church right. teaches this, therefore it's true. No, he explains it, and, and then he he backs it up with all the things that the fathers of the church said. He says, "See, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, this is how the apostles understood what Jesus meant. This is from the right. very beginning. This is how this has been this has been understood. This is how this is how it's been taught." So he's got this way of of pointing it out that says what our Catholic faith is really all about is is not just a historically conditioned thing, mm-hmm. nor is it just a, a question of raw authority and who's in charge. This is. Oh, there's so much more to it. There's such, such deep things that we need to question and, and discuss. And he's he's really very powerful, and he he does it, a tremendous amount there. Is it fair to say he is the father of modern theology, which is itself mm. going back to the ancient practice of theology? Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to sit down and th- and think through some of the other yeah. theologians who are hugely influential. Uh, right, fair enough. Because Balthazar, it, you're going to see Balthazar de Lubac. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're going to see Carl um, uh, Rahner. Even some of the um, some of the Protestant theologians are really important. Uh, Boltman, right. Moltman, yeah. uh, <laughs> Rudolph. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of really important theologians. Wasn't, he, wasn't Rudolph Boltman an a, not an atheist? But I mean. Wasn't he just kind of an atheist? <laughs> I don't remember. Maybe. I got it's it's a while since I've I've studied any <laughs> of that. But here's the thing. You had all of these people who were who were writing in the early part right. of the nineteen hundreds, uh, th- that were hugely influential in theological circles, and that's who that's who Ratzinger had to study or study under. Yeah. Right. And right. They they made a they made a mark, they made an impact on him. Yeah. Uh, of course they did. He was the beneficiary of of 
professors. Yeah. So I guess to, to answer the question, is he the father of modern theology? It would just be a question of what is modern? Where does where does the modern era begin, and or, or what are, are we talking contemporary? Because often modern, if you're if you're breaking down philosophy, like modern is is a certain era, like from Descartes on. But then you uh-huh. get into contemporary philosophy, uh, which is from like the early 1900s or even late 1800s right. on. So there's there's a whole lot of yeah. stuff you can do there. I, I probably would have defined it as where that content and unity starts, where that you know this hermeneutic of continuity begins. Mm. Which I guess is his idea, which is why I thought that. Yeah, I think um, in in the post conciliar era, let's say, yeah. in in that time after Vatican II, I think that Ratzinger is the most important theologian. I also think that, uh, so, who is it that has to uh, validly and authentically interpret a council? It's it's up to the Pope to authentically mm-hmm. and validly interpret the council. So Paul VI is the first interpreter of Vatican II because Vatican II closes during his papacy. Uh, mm-hmm. John Paul I never said a thing about Vatican II because he died too quickly after he became Pope. He's, right. he's, he had 33 <laughs> days to say something about Vatican II and he didn't. Uh, but right. John Paul II constantly makes reference to, to Vatican II. Right. Um, Benedict XVI who was once Joseph Ratzinger, <laughs> constantly right. makes reference to Vatican II. There's, there's right. an authentic interpretation of the council that can be found in these popes, uh, but Ratzinger was already teaching that, that same stuff. He didn't have to become pope to, to, to give the right. interpretation. It's just that by the time he becomes pope, he's offering— Now this, it's authoritative. Yeah, he's basically offering the same interpretations of the council. Right, um, right. But, but he does he it He just in, continued saying what he, did, what he yeah. had always been saying. Exactly. But a, a big <laughs> right. thing with, with Ratzinger is he, he doesn't take the approach of we need to be skeptical of everything that has ever come before, which mm-hmm. is a, a dangerous trend in— um, well, in most academic disciplines right now, uh, mm-hmm. if it's if it's not brand new, then it must be bad. It must be biased. It must be caught up in something something right, false, which is the opposite of the Catholic faith. Right. But Ratzinger is able to say this is this is the truth of our faith. This is what we believe. Here it is. Here it is in a way that you can understand, and and here it is in a way that is rather comprehensive that covers an awful lot yeah. of stuff. So that's why I think Ratzinger is the most important theologian of the last hundred years, and. Um, with my apologies, I gotta go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm real sorry, but All that right. was a fun conversation. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, I enjoyed it. it quite a bit. <laughs> now, now you made me want to go and read read more of Ratzinger's theology or reread some of the stuff that I haven't read in a long time. Uh, go back and look through the entire Ignatius Press catalog, which is a dangerous yeah, thing yeah. for me to do because I will buy all their books. Ignatius Press, if you happen to feel like sending me some books just for fun, I accept uh, yeah, gladly. Yeah, we will. We will uh, advertise for you. Yeah, exactly. Right there. Right there. Free free ad. Ignatius Press, a fine Catholic book, book publishing company. Great works of theology available there. Yes. Including yes. all the works of Joseph Ratzinger. Hey, Matt, thanks. Of course. All Will right. you take us out with a blessing? Yes. Heavenly Father, open our hearts and our minds to know your plan more deeply. Let us study the faith, seeing in the entire history of salvation and in the entire history of the church, your constantly unfolding plan for the good and the blessing of the world. Pray your graces upon us through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. See you next time, Father. See you, Matt. Peace. Peace.